igniting, inspiring, and evoking the fire within. Yeah, today does mean amen. And it is okay to be okay and acknowledge the hurt, acknowledge the pain. Absolutely. Um, And also know that like, whoever you are, however you got here, like it is okay. And you can celebrate today. I am both the writer and the artist of this story, my story that you can no longer blurry and bury. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Your time as my creator is far past expired. Now I am both a gentle and powerful wildfire. You're listening to the What's Your Inspiration podcast with Fox Fire. On this episode of the What's Your Inspiration podcast, we have Julia Hark. Julia is a recent graduate of Tulane University, where she obtained her BA with honors in Gender and Sexuality Studies with minors in Psychology and Classics. Her honors thesis, Diet Culture in the Beauty Industry, a contemporary manifestation of the American freak show, explores how the freak show still exists in today's diet culture. She plans to continue living in New Orleans, working as the communications manager for a nonprofit called Calion before attending grad school. This should be fun. Here we go. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the What's Your Inspiration podcast. On this episode, a Wildcat alum, a Green Wave alum, a recent graduate of Tulane University. She, I didn't have her as a student in school, but she's made a great big impact on my life. She is Ms. Julia Hark. Julia, how are you today? I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much. I'm doing well. <laughs> Julia, you don't sound as excited as you were in the pre-conversation. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you nervous? I don't know. I've never been interviewed before like this. Never? No. Julia, I, you know, I know you fairly well, and I think you, this is the first of many of interviews of, of, this, of this type. So, I hope so. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, shine, shine bright in the next 25 or 30 minutes as All we, right, I'll as try. we uh, have a conversation. So, Julia, again, a uh, graduate of Whippany Park High School, where I teach in New Jersey, and she is also, uh, she also graduated from Tulane University this past spring, the, the class of 20. 21 green wave green wave green wave so julia you know living in new orleans let's talk let's talk about it what are your top three things about living in new orleans um okay number one is probably the culture um coming from a very homogenous white suburb in northern new jersey and then moving here was a huge culture shock. And that was part of the reason I came here because I needed to get out of there. Um, not that it's bad, but just, I needed to expand my, my bubble. Um, and coming here, I, I absolutely love it. I mean, you just see, you just never know what you're going to get here. My friend was telling me that she was at, um, a restaurant called commander's palace. You can look it up. It's like very famous restaurant. And she said there's a a couple sitting next to her, um, a gay couple that were talking about their, like their witches. And they have like a whole, um, company for like, like cauldrons and everything. And they were just talking like that. You would not have that conglomerate of, 
identities in such a fancy place, like unless you're in New Orleans, it's just, you never know what you're going to get. And it's just fabulous. Um, and everybody, you know, but you also have the Southern hospitality and the Southern charm here. And so you walk by someone and it's like, um, Hey, how are you doing? And they genuinely want to know. They genuinely want to know. So I love, I love the culture here. Um, and every day I'm just learning something new and taking a step back and taking it in um, and finding my place. You've um, been there four plus years and you're, you're, you're still learning, right? Absolutely. And, and growing. I think absolutely. it's a worldwide thing. You know, people from around the globe want to go to New Orleans, not just here, yeah. not just here in the States. So kudos to you uh, um, for, for anchoring down in Norway. Thank you. Very, Thank very you. cool. Has your, has your palate changed? We talked about, you know, as you're sipping on orange juice right now, <laughs> what kinds of, of, of uh, new foods are your staple nowadays that weren't, weren't there four years ago, five years ago? Um, well, so I came here as a vegetarian and I'm not technically a vegetarian. I will, if it looks good, I'll try it. That's kind of my motto, I guess, when I go places. Um, I, let's see, what are some new things I've tried since I've been here? Um, What do you think of crawfish? Yeah, I was just about to say crawfish. Crawfish are good. Um, The only thing I don't like about it is that you can't get the smell off your hands. Like you, you can eat them and it tastes good, but you can't get that smell off. Um, I also learned very quickly that when you're eating crawfish, you're not supposed to touch your eyes. No. Um, And I learned that very, very quickly the hard way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But crawfish are good. You can do a lot with that. I had one time I had crawfish mac and cheese. That was really good. Um, so you get, it tastes really good and you don't, you obviously don't get the, the smell of it on your hands. So that's kind of nice. Um, beignets obviously are a staple here. Um, let's see what else have I, what else do I have here? Um, I, there's some things like gumbo jambalaya. I'm not really into that just cause I don't like the like components of it too much um like sausage I'm not really a fan of um but they have I mean amazing seafood here amazing seafood um like all kinds of fresh fish and um shrimp dishes um I we went to a restaurant for graduation called patois which is just a it's not a real French word but it basically means like I think it means a smattering of sorts or like just a motley crew type situation um and I had really good scallops there um and it's just like it's so hard to describe unless you're here but like everything is so unique with the food and yeah you might have like you know your normal I don't know steak and mashed potatoes but there's like a New Orleans flair to it there's a New Orleans component to it um so yeah, I don't know. My brain's not really working right now. Oh, you, you, you said a lot and expressed a lot. I'm, I'm from deducting from what you, you've, you've said, the kind of food matches the people in terms of there are a lot of different kinds of people, okay, where you're currently, currently living and, and, the, and the food Absolutely. matches that. 
and it makes it exciting um, to live there every single day. I mean, you can go out on a Tuesday night and just be blown away by a, a you know a dish you've tried or you know made a connection with somebody that um, mm-hmm. you, you otherwise wouldn't have. So very cool. Yeah, yeah. Very very cool. So getting into your studies a little bit at Tulane as sure. part of the Green Wave, you wrote a roll wave, green yes. wave, roll wave, <laughs> roll wave, roll wave. You wrote a 72-page thesis about diet culture and the beauty industry, okay? We want to know what led you to go into this topic in such length and depth about it. What was your inspiration? I see what you did there. So um, <laughs> so the, the full title of my thesis is Diet Culture and the Beauty Industry, um, a Contemporary American Freak Show. Um, so basically I paralleled the American freak show. And when I say the freak show, I mean like the quintessential, like early 1900s, late 1800s, um, you know, people on, on a stage who have some kind of, and I'm using quotes here, but like freakery about them. Um, so like, you know, the tall man or the bearded lady are, um, traditional examples or you know think of like the movie the greatest showman which i have i could have a lot to say about that movie but um (laughs) think of that's what the that's what i'm referring to as the freak show um and so yeah i so i have a degree in gender and sexuality studies and so i took a lot of different classes about all sorts of things that's why i loved this major because it's interdisciplinary and in so many classes I took were just so vastly different. I mean, I took like American feminine, I mean, African feminisms, and then I took um, race and ethnicity in the ancient world and they both satisfied major requirements. So, um, so yeah, how did I get on this topic? Um, well, so it's a, it's a, a, a feminist standpoint of writing that is becoming ever more popular, but has been around for quite some time. Um, it just ne- hasn't necessarily been considered quote unquote academic until more recently. Um, but a feminist standpoint of writing is that you write from like a me perspective. You write from your own story, basically. And you put your story in your writing, in your research. Um, so one of my professors, Mimi Shippers, she does a lot of research on polyamory and poly queer kinship and things like that. And so she always starts her writing talking about her experience in polyamorous relationships and things like that. Um, And so um, I wanted to write about something that I have experience with. And for me, that was, I am in recovery from an eating disorder and I'm actually pretty, pretty, I would say I'm on the closer end of the recovered side of the spectrum rather than the in recovery side. But um, yeah, so I, I, now of course eating disorders are very complex biopsychosocial phenomenon. And, um, you know, there's no single reason behind it. Um, but diet culture does play a large part into eating disorders. Um, and so I was just thinking last summer when I was trying to figure out what I want to write about, I was thinking about diet culture because it's, it's pervasive, it's everywhere. And I am always trying to fight it and, and talk to my friends about it and, you know, just figure out how to say no to it because it's been so harmful in my life and in so many other people's lives. 
Um, so I had that part of it. And then I was like, well, what can I do with this? And my thesis advisor, um, Dr. Crystal Cleary, had written her dissertation in grad school on the freak show. And I just thought like, it really wasn't that complex of a, how I came to this topic. I literally was just sitting there thinking and I was like, I feel like diet culture is kind of like a freak show um, in the sense that like, you know, it's, it's the idea of putting something on a stage and um, making something seem worse than it actually is. And just um, a lot of manipulation of the body and profit profit is huge in both diet culture and in the freak show. Um, and just the sense of control that this myth of control that is, is present in both of them. And so I was just like, yeah, I don't know. This sounds cool. Let's look into it. And I was asking one of my professors to be on my thesis, um, Mallory Wanko Katerine. And she was like, so what's your thesis going to be about? Cause I don't want to say yes, unless I know what it's going to be about. And I was like, that's a great question. And she's like, yeah, it is now. Can you answer it? Um, and so I had to, on the spot, I had to be like, okay, I guess this is, I guess this is what I'm going with. And I was like, yeah, I feel like there's a parallel between diet culture and the preaching. She's like, great. Sounds good. And so I was, I had kind of committed to it and didn't really think it through. And it ended up being, um, I, I would love to continue research into that topic because I mean, diet culture is so large and the freak show is such a large um, cultural phenomenon. I mean, there's, there's a whole discipline called freak studies that comes from that. Um, but, but yeah, so it kind of just came out of, I guess. I wouldn't say that it came out of nowhere. I mean, it, it didn't come obviously out of thought it through uh, um, a lot and yeah. And if you, you obviously did, because that's one thing that, that I know when talking about a topic, if, if you can't express it in two or three sentences, I don't want to say off the cuff, then you don't quite know what the through line is. You know, you knew the through line of, of your thesis before you thought that you knew it, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And just to go into uh, a little bit more about about your your journey and your story. What's what's been uh, a key in your recovery? Maybe the biggest key in your recovery, sharing, knowing that people are listening to this um, likely of are going through what what you went through. What, what do you think's been the biggest thing in your recovery? Um, I, I don't know if I can point to just one thing, but. Um, you think I have an answer to this? Um, I, I guess part of it is at least for me and some of the people that I've met in treatment and people I know that have struggled with eating disorders, disordered eating, um, there's a big sense of control that is a part of that. And, um, eating disorders love chaos. They love to give us a sense of control. Um, and so part of, part of learning to say no to that. And part of, you know, the treatment process and the recovery process is, is giving up this perceived sense of control mm -hmm. and, and learning to let go for lack of a better phrase. Um, and 
at first that is incredibly, incredibly difficult. I mean, there's, I, I won't only speak from my own experience, but I mean, there was so much just fighting myself and my family and friends in the very, very beginning of the treatment process because I didn't want to let go of it. And because I, I didn't, at the time I couldn't see what it was doing and I couldn't, I didn't realize that it was like not a good sense of control. Like, um, so yeah, I would say a big, maybe not the biggest key in it, but a big part of it, at least for me was just learning to let go and learn to give up this sense of control over your world and your body that is not healthy at all. Um, and that's something I'm still learning to do. Um, you know, so right now I just graduated college as we've talked about, but I am very much planning to take this year and next year off before I do any sort of graduate programs, because I, for so long, I had my eating disorder for like 10 years. And for so long, I just was in such a dark place where I wanted to control everything. And, and I was being controlled by this, this, you know, voice in my head that always told me, you know, that you're not good enough, blah, blah, blah. And, and now that I'm on the farther end of the recovery spectrum, I really want to make sure that I know who I am and how to live without that before I start going to this next chapter of my life. You know, I, there's just so much that, that goes into having in living with an eating disorder where, um, you know, there's things as simple as I wouldn't let myself sit down for extended periods of time because that was lazy. That was wrong. That was unproductive. And so now just allowing myself to just quote unquote, do nothing is so important because I need to learn how to do that. Yes, it is wonderful. And I hate the fact that I didn't let myself do it for so many years. And so there's, I'm in this like healing process now where not only is my body still healing from all of the damage that was done, but my mind is still healing and I'm still learning to let go and just allow myself to exist and not have to do all of these things and listen to this voice and listen to all this, you know, background noise and chaos. Um, and so that's part of the reason why right now I am just living. (laughs) Like I'm just trying so hard to live and not actually have any, you know, external obligations that I don't have to have right now. The, 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 the fact that you've, you've so strongly decided to take a couple of years off and then you're not taking these years off. Julia is very, very active. <laughs> and we'll, and we'll get into, I mean, she's not sitting at the edge of her bed, eating bonbons the entire day. That's not what she's doing. <laughs> but um, if I wanted to, that's okay. But, but that is okay. Um, but the fact that you've, you know, this is so clear to you, it just shows you how clearly you're thinking and, and how well you're recovering. And, you know, I don't have a, a glass in my hand. But I do have a bottle in my hand. It's an audio version, but here is to your continued recovery. Thank um, you. You've uh, inspired many, including me, um, through, Thank you. Uh, through the, the, the entire process. So from there, we've learned, you know, a lot about you, Julia. 
we're going to go into a game called what, which, and where. Okay. So before, as many of people who listen to this podcast know, I, I quiz uh, the the uh, interviewees before not quiz, but they, they fill out a questionnaire, and <laughs> this is basically based on your answers in the questionnaire. A little bit, you know, about okay. your pastimes, what you like to do, other than All writing right. a, a um, seventy-page thesis um, <laughs> as well. <laughs> So I ask you, Julia, are you ready to play what, which, and where? I'm ready as ever. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm going to read you a quote. could be from a book, a song, and you tell us from where it came. Number one, wherever you are, however you got there, this is exactly where you are supposed to be. So that is a quote from a contemporary spoken word artist, poet, um, Sierra DeMolder. Um, one of my absolute favorites. Um, she has a book of poetry that that's from, and the poem that's from is by the same name. Um, Today means amen, which is one of my favorites. I encourage you to go listen to it. Just search it on YouTube. Today means amen. Um, it's incredible. And it's, it's, she has a lot of her poetry is about her Um, journey as a survivor of sexual abuse, which is something that I am also a survivor of, and um, her journey of coming out, which I recently came out as bi, and just going through the world as a woman, and so she has this poem. It's one of her, it's from several years ago now, but it's it's called Bay Means Amen, and that's one of the, it's just one of my favorite lines in it, because that poem got me through some really hard times and still I still listen to it and still watch her video performing it um when I have the emotional capability to do so because it does it does hurt sometimes in a good way it does make me cry but um it was actually I used her quote in my (laughs) for my senior yearbook quote in high school was uh today means amen because I again you know going back to my recovery and I'm also I've also am dealing with, um, PTSD and depression and anxiety. And so I have, um, I have a history of trauma and, and so part of where I am now in my life and recovery and healing is really learning to be okay with being okay and not being okay. You know, we, we hear the phrase, it's okay to not be okay. And that is, that is yes, a hundred percent true. And that was something I had to learn first, but now at this point, I'm at this point where I'm learning it's okay to be okay. And that's something that is so strange that, you know, okay, well, obviously it's okay to be okay. Well, no, because when you, when you are somebody like me who has experienced all this trauma and pain from such a young age and through your developmental years, you know, it's, it is actually a whole process to learn to like, when you get to this point where things are okay, and there's not a crisis every minute and you're learning to heal from your trauma, you know, you have to get to a point where it's like, or at least for me, I got to a point where I'm like learning, you know, yeah, today does mean amen. And it is okay to be okay. And acknowledge the hurt, acknowledge the pain. Absolutely. Um, and also know that like whoever you are, however you got here, like it is okay. And you can celebrate today. 
there's no other way to cap that off by saying <laughs> amen to all, to all of that. And just to share um, a couple of stories. This is a conversation. I just want to share yeah. a couple of stories with, with Julia. I, I read this as a quote of the day um, uh, in, in one of my favorite classes to visit, which is Brad Callahan's uh, uh, PE class. He writes the quote of the day on the board, and this is connected to what you were just talking about. It's okay to be okay. He wrote, uh, quote of the day, uh, it's okay to fall apart because tacos fall apart and we like them too. Period. <laughs> Period. Period. And then from an, you know, an experience I had a couple of years ago, um, um, uh, it's before a game, I'm uh, coaching uh, in, in Somerset. It's about, I think, 2000, 2015 now. So it's more than a couple of years ago, but I'm uh, getting a player ready for a game, throwing a little batting practice in the cage. And he was a player that, that, he had a, a real tough exterior, but um, was going through a lot at the time. Um, physically, he was not well. Um, and I'm not saying it was life-threatening or anything like that, but in terms of having to play every day, um, he was banged up. And mm -hmm. he played because he had to. And at the time, his, his family, um, uh, one of his children was, was very, very sick. And he, you know, he didn't share it with a whole lot of people. I knew it, um, but he didn't share it with a whole lot of uh, players or the coaches on the team at the time. Mm -hmm. But uh, to make a long story um, a bit longer, uh, we were picking up all the baseballs after um, you know he took his round and then a, another player walked in the cage and he started picking up all the balls that, that, uh, that um, this particular player hit. And he said, hey, uh, Scott, Stop picking up all the balls. I hit those. It's my responsibility. And Scott said, sorry, I've got screws loose. He said, wait a minute, Scott, we all have screws loose. And if we didn't, we wouldn't be normal. So yeah. I've, I've never, um, never forgotten that. Never forgotten that at all. So after a long exchange there, uh, Julie, <laughs> you are one for one. Uh, <laughs> thank you for being so candid, by the way. I think this is yeah. going to help a lot of people. Second, uh, in, in what, which, and where is this? I feel like I write so people can think of it as theirs. Who said that? I don't a know. Recording artist, Julie, a recording artist who frequents your ears. I don't remember who wrote that. Who was it? I think if you go on your playlist right now, you'll have a song from this person. Say it again. Don't, I think you're Googling it. Don't Google it, Miss Julia. <laughs> hey, put your hands up. I don't know uh, who wrote this. I don't remember. It's not the end of the world if you don't get it, but think about who frequents your ears and who's, who inspired you, recording artist. I feel like I write so people can think of it as theirs. I don't know. It's not one of her. She's a, an artist, recording artist, a musician and recording artist, great lyricist as well. But this is not one of her songs. It's just something she said. Oh, that's why I can't think of it. Um, I don't know. Who was it? Billie Eilish. I was, okay, that was what I, I was thinking. <laughs> oh, man, I should have just said it. I should have said it. Should've. You oh. should have. Oh, now, now, and here's the question off of that. Um, 
she's a brilliant writer. You are a brilliant writer. Why do you write? What is your why? Oh man, why do I write? Um, you're really coming at me with the harder questions today. Um, why do I write? Um, I, I'll answer this in a weird way. So I started writing um, poetry and such in middle school, which is when a lot of my uh, trauma started and things were starting to get very difficult in my life. And I felt I had no one to talk to. I, well, I was told not to really tell anyone what was going on in my life at the time. So I didn't have anyone to talk to in a very literal way. And um, I was just carrying so much emotion and carrying all these things that I didn't understand. And writing was a way for me to just I guess, make sense of it and, and connect with people. Um, the very first people that I ever shared my writing with was my teachers. Um, I remember very clearly I had a notebook I would write in and I would put post-its in all of the pages where a poem started and I gave it to my middle school teachers at the time. And I'd be like, hey, can you read this? Like, I just wrote this. And it was just a way for me to talk to people about what was going on without actually talking about it and in a safe way. And it, it, there was no rules. There, there were no, there were no uh, templates I had to follow. There was no deadline. Um, it was just a way for me to express what I was feeling and make sense of what I was feeling and communicate with others in a way that I wasn't able to otherwise. And, you know, that continued, it's, oh man, we're going on 10 years of that now. I'm how old? <laughs> um, Say that. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, why do I write? I write because, because it was people like Sierra DeMolder and her poetry and um, listening to other spoken word poets who are very candid. That's why I really love spoken word. Um, but it was listening to them and, and reading their, their poetry that allowed me to feel seen and heard and understood at a time when I did not feel those things like at all. And so I think I write because I hope that someone else will feel that way reading what I wrote or hearing me perform it. Um, Can I stop you there real, yeah. real quick? Yeah. So, so you know, the, the, the initial quote was from Billie, Billie Eilish, I feel like I can write so others can think of it as theirs. And that's what you just said. <laughs> I guess so. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah I guess so. How cool is that? And, and, um, no, I don't think anything more. If you want to add to more of what you're saying, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, it's I just okay. felt like I, I um, needed to say that. So you articulated just exactly that. You, I, I think a lot of people, um, whether you know or not, do feel similar to you and go through similar things as you, although it's your own unique story. And you, you just have no idea the impact and how much you're helping people with, with the way that you, you, you uh, 
expressed yourself over the past 10 years. It's phenomenal. Thank phenomenal. you. Thank you. I hope so. I hope so. It's phenomenal. I, 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 uh, I know so. I know so. <laughs> so you want to do, you want to do a special bonus quote in this? Sure. Maybe I'll know it this time. So, so you, you, you got Sierra DeMolder. You were going to get Billie Eilish if I gave you five more seconds. Shame <laughs> on me. Um, uh, but this one uh, go, uh, goes like this. <clears throat> Even if tough times last, tough people, they last longer. And as you go down this mogul-ridden path, let your faith grow stronger. Who said that? Who wrote that? Um, Don't think uh, hard. Don't do not. It's embarrassing. Um, Someone you, you know, actually. You actually know this person. Did you say that? I did. I did. <laughs> so, so yes. So Julia and I first really connected in her high school years. Again, I never taught Julia in class, but this was probably her sophomore or junior year as a student, a high school student at Whippany Park High School in New Jersey. We began partaking in art slams at the mm-hmm. local library and Julie would present and then I would present and, and you know, the, the um, I don't know, we lifted up the curtain sort of on ourselves and sort of expressed ourselves in ways that we yeah. didn't and probably couldn't in a school setting. So that's when um, we connect, began to connect with each other. And that was probably a poem that I um, recited early on in those experiences. So, it was, yeah. Uh, so kudos to you. Two out of three, Julia. Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, uh, you, you get a new new, new uh, uh, cup for your orange juice. Uh, coming soon. I'll have <laughs> a new, new glass. New glass. Yeah, right. Um, this has been awesome, Julia. And I, yeah. I and I present this scenario at the bottom of each each conversation. Um, we know all heroes don't wear a cape, but if you had the opportunity to take a one-hour car ride with one of the following two people, who would it be and why? Would it be Sarah DeMolder or would it be Billie Eilish? A car ride? One-hour car ride. And you just one cruise it along ride. and you could talk to them about anything in the world. Who would it be? Would it be Sierra DeMolder or Billie Eilish? I, th- I think it would be Sierra Nemolder if for no other reason than um, I just want to, I want to, I want to hear more about her story and who she is. And I feel like Billie Eilish is so open and obviously, you know, as a celebrity, it's, what's out there, what she's saying about and what she says in interviews is only so much, obviously it's not, you know, her entire person, but I do think that I can, I know about her and I, I can get a sense of who she is by listening to her music and stuff. But Sierra DeMolder, I, I don't know her as much as I feel like I, I know Billie Eilish already. Um, and Sierra DeMolder has such a, and from what I've seen just by watching her perform, um, there's just a softness about her and 
a candor and I want to, I would love to get to know her more on a personal level and connect. Um, you know, she took the last couple of, she, she's open about this now, but she, she took the last couple of years off because of, um, personal struggle that I won't share here. Um, uh, but, um, she hasn't really performed or, or published anything in the past couple of years. And now she is starting to share her writing again. Mm-hmm. And she shares on her Instagram, why that is like, why she took that time off. And, um, I just, I would love to actually get to know her on a personal level. And I feel like car rides are a unique place where you can do that. You are stuck quite literally stuck in this small space with somebody. And, um, there's something about being like on the open road and, you know, it's, it's weird. It's like time is stopping for you in that car for that period of time that you're driving. And that would just, I feel like something unique and special would come out of that conversation. Little air therapy, yes. Yeah, yeah. Highway therapy, highway therapy. Here, <laughs> Demolder, and Miss Julia Hark. Oh man, that would be amazing. <laughs> it, would be. it would be. Julia, uh, two questions left. One is, what advice do you have for people who feel like they have hit rock bottom? <sighs> what advice do I have for people who hit rock bottom? Um, well, first of all, I've been there. I have been there more than once. Um, I think first and foremost, I want to tell this person it's okay. And I have been with people who have been at rock bottom before, quite literally. Like one of my best friends was several years ago now. She was, um, in a very, very dark place and called me and I saved her life that day. And so I have quite literally been at rock bottom with people before. Um, and I want you to know that it's okay. It's okay that you're at rock bottom. It's whatever is happening, whatever is going on, it's okay. You don't have to justify it to me. You don't have to explain yourself. Um, you can cry, you can scream, whatever, do whatever you need to do, it's okay. Um, you can stop fighting if you really want to, at that point in time, if you want to stop and say, I need help and I need to stop and because I don't, you know, I, I don't want to fight anymore and I need help. That is okay. Allow me to help you allow somebody to help you. Um, yeah, just, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's okay to be at rock bottom. Just let somebody help you. Um, and that doesn't make you weak at all. Actually, the strongest people, the, by far, the strongest people I know are the ones that know how to say, I need help. And the ones that have gotten up from rock bottom and moved on. They may have stayed at rock bottom for a little while. I sure have, but they kept going. At some point they kept going and they said, I need help. Um, just find, just find somebody you trust, anybody, literally anybody. Um, for me, a lot of times that was my teachers. Um, there were some, I think maybe two points, a few points maybe where I actually said the words, I need help. But other times it was more indirect. 
and it was, um, you know, just spending lunch with these teachers or, you know, they knew what was going on in my life and they made a space for me to talk where I could feel safe. And at one point I actually told somebody what was going on because I knew they would have to report it. And I knew that I needed that help, but I didn't have the strength or the, I didn't feel safe enough to report it myself and say to the person that could help me, Hey, I need help. So I told somebody else who could do it for me. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's okay. It's okay. Um, you can stop, you can, you know, feel feels, you can stay there and then you keep going. If you're listening to the podcast right now, you need to rewind that section. I think it's a very old word. Okay, go go back in time. Just hit that. Uh, there's a little button with a loop, 30 seconds. Hit that about four times and listen to what Julia just said. Again, profound words, Julia. Um, thank you. Julia, is there a question um, that I didn't ask uh, during the podcast that I should have asked? Um, is there a question? If there is, there is, there's not, there's not. I don't think there is a question, but I do have something I would like to share. Uh, please, by all means, do you have the floor? Um, I would love to share one of my poems. We Perfect. So a little authentic portion um, that we, we typically do on, on, on the podcast. So Julia, yes, this would be a great cap to the episode. Um, please ex- explain and uh, you can go right into it. All right. Um, um, can I do it two part? Of course. Okay. <laughs> um, so, all right. We've talked about my recovery. We've talked about my writing. Um, I think this is a good summary of that. So I was context here. I was, I've been in eating disorder treatment twice. I've been to residential treatment twice. Um, the most recent time I had to take a semester off of school and, um, I spent six weeks in a residential treatment center, my sophomore year. And, uh, I was in Connecticut and, um, just so you have an idea of what it is like being in treatment and it's different for everybody. So I'll just speak from my own experience, but I had never been to this place. I didn't know any of the people there. And I just called this treatment center and I was like, Hey, I, I know I need to, I need to go to treatment and they do the assessments, all that good stuff. And then my mom dropped me off there one day and I had no idea how long I was going to be there. It depends on all sorts of things. Um, and I lived with five other women around my age. Um, I was there for six weeks and you place I was at it was a I think they had a one to two staff to patient ratio at all times at the very least sometimes more than that um so you have you had no time to yourself at all um even when you were in the bathroom you had to leave the door open a crack for safety reasons um because this was exclusively for eating disorder uh, patients and so it's a huge adjustment. You don't have your phone. You don't have internet access. Um, and so all of a sudden you're going from this world where you are, like I said before, you feel like you're in control and everything is 
you know, controlled by our eating disorder. And all of a sudden you give that up. And, and like the second you walk through those doors, it is gone. Um, the fight is very much still alive, but all of a sudden you have no control and that's part of the process. And so this was, this was where a lot of my healing started and I haven't been, this was the last time I was in treatment. So, um, this was a really huge turning point for me. And so I wrote a lot when I was in treatment both times, but especially this time. And I wrote these two poems. The first one is called, um, let me pull it up here. The mirror confronts the muse. And it was basically, it's this idea that, um, I was playing with the idea of a mirror and how much a mirror it had on, like how much impact a mirror had on me at that point in my life. And at this place I was at, there were no mirrors. I literally only saw myself in a mirror for like 10 minutes every day when I was in the bathroom, getting ready in the morning. That was it. Um, and so I had to go from like being obsessed with seeing my reflection to not having the ability to do so, obviously for very good reason. Um, and so this first poem is essentially the mirror or the eating disorder. It's a symbol for that. in, in so many ways confronting the person that has this eating disorder. Um, so I'm going to get kind of theatrical. <laughs> so you're all with me here. Go for it. All right. Um, <laughs> Dear Muse, it is my understanding that you want me shattered, that you would prefer me sand and glass slivers over my wide frame, full length feature film of reflection, that this body expose, if you will, is quite the scandal. But my dear, I believe it is you who needs to understand here. See, when I sketch the shape of your body onto my glass canvas, I do so in perfect proportions, like bend skin colors and crack cracks to life size and maximize your body's guides. The lens shows no lies. Indeed, the picture I paint is the portrait of your potential. I take the skeleton you provide and morph it to be a beautiful design. Remember, baby doll, not to cower at that shudder in your heart when I am here, for I am a master of fine arts. I have pounds of experience editing the human body on screen. Believe me when I say I produce perfection all day. Give me you vulnerable and raw, undressed before my lens and watch yourself evolve from clothes to bare skin to bones. I will make you the most beautiful person in the world. You will be shining golden bones when I am done with you. All you have to do is give me your undivided attention, motivation, and dedication. Make me your lover, the first and last face you see each day. Trust me, that pain you feel when you peer into me is only temporary. Soon enough, my high-res lens will be the focus of your eyes. You'll be slimming those hips and gapping those thighs. You'll start to feel my stare and every snack, meal, and reflective glare. But my darling, do not let my rules or presence be alarming. Do not be angry at me for showing you what only others can see. Those people who tell you just eat do not carry your weight. We are your true friends, neither that calorie counter nor I would ever feed you such lies. See me, reflections real. Hear me, restrict her to repeat. Let that shame that sits in your gut, my glare, be the boulder that shrinks your stomach and whittles down your waist. I know you may feel worthless at first seeing the size of your girth, but I promise your worth will ascend as weight and flesh descend. You must trust me. You are the muse and I am the artist starving 
for you. Feed me your fears, every fiber of your being. Feel your fat fall away with each glance into my glass. I will make you thin forever, teach you to fit in, show you discipline. When you are abandoned by friends and family, remember it is out of jealousy. I will always be there for you. I will always tell you what to do, the right way to be. You will love me. You will come to praise my honesty and crave my validation. Walk past the kitchen with empty eyes and I'll smile at you in the window. Run an extra mile and I'll smile at you in a puddle. Excuse yourself to the bathroom after each meal and I'll smile at you in the bowl. You will love me. You will honor me. You will cherish me. You will feed me. Spend all day with me. Salute me. Love me. Empower me. Crave me. You will love me. But make sure to read the fine print on our contract you sign. If you ever disobey me or refuse to look me in the eye, if you ever go up in size or ungap your thighs, I will be the mirror to burn and sear fat, flesh, muscle, and bone until you disappear. The mirror and the muse? The mirror confronts the muse. Mirror confronts the muse by so, Julia Hark. So that was the first, this part one. Um, so this was essentially, I was imagining the eating disorder confronting me. So dark I know <laughs> um it's a heavy one but here's part two part two is the muse breaks free so this is me confronting the eating disorder um I actually just remembered the reason why I wrote this the way I did is because a big part of our treatment at that where I was at was the idea of confrontation and how important it is um to learn how to have healthy confrontation and so this is my way of confronting my eating disorder um, so part two, the muse breaks free. Dear mirror, when you reflect my body in your glass, I see thousand rain tree trunk thighs and a bloated belly ready to burst through the dam of my, the dam of my jeans and arms dense with forests of fat. I feel shame in my shoulders too broad for my body and guilt in my gut too round for romance. I feel worth wash away with each pinch of blubber on my ribs and poke at the marks on my face. Acne scars stain my forehead from my pimple popping skin picking routine because I'm so obsessed with giving people a reason not to look at me. I'd go to you for validation, expect you to give me the motivation I need to smile in the hallways to see stars in their eyes rather than scars on my thighs. I'd expect you to show me which style flatters my body best, how to straighten my posture and how to offer loving arms even when the world is a mess. But that was never your intention. You thrive on my aching, my pain, and my shaking. You only know how to reflect the fears I smother with laughs and the past I keep hidden in regret. I thought I was the northern lights in your empty sky, the beauty and light that encouraged the journey through each dark night. I thought I was the precious wildflower in your lonely field, the one everyone tries to find but is never picked for fear of what I may hide. I thought I was the rarest gem in your crystal-cut glass, a treasured diamond abandoned in the shattered glass sand but you never showed me that respect. Teaching me to trace my curvy branches and accept my hardened bark was never your intent. You thrive on feeding me body-shaming lies and deprive me of the life I have inside. You use deceit to rob me of my worth and distort the circumference of my girth. You rid me of honesty, force me hungry, and starve me 
of beauty. The comfort I used to find in my glare is now a fatal stare. My eyes don't meet yours anymore without tears slipping from silence and nausea ascending from my gut to punish me for such disgust. I drown further in defeat each time we dare to meet. I suffocate each night under your dark, deadly, dagger-like sight. I am silenced and choked and strangled and yoked by the voice you project in each window, puddle, and bowl that I look. All you've ever done is replicate and reciprocate the perfect female shape without giving any thought to the eating disorder that I caught. You were just supposed to be a glass mirror. Since when did you become my holy creator? When did I give you permission to be the artist of my life's illustration? Your only job was to sit on the wall. So why do I look at you and feel so small? What made you so corruptive? What made you morph my body's reflection into my mind's inner feast? When did my lullaby voice harden and sharpen into a sinister whisper with only one choice? Mirror, mirror on the wall. I know I'm not the fairest of them all, but that doesn't mean I don't deserve to be seen and be heard. I am not a muse free for you to manipulate and abuse. My thighs are tree trunks with thousands of rings because they have survived healing blizzards and thundering rains. My belly is bloated and expanding my waist because I am more than allowed to take up space. My arms are dense because they are warm with love and strong enough to keep my head high up above. Mirror, you will no longer be able to hide behind the lies and false slides you make of my days. You are nothing more than a dangerous looking glass that burns and destroys everything in its eye to survive. I do not need you. My body is mine and will be more than just fine without your insidious cries. I do not want you. I can decide for myself how I feel without giving in to your distorted ideal. I hold the power to decide how much we are bound, not the other way around. I am both the writer and the artist of this story, my story, that you can no longer blurry and bury. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Your time as my creator is far past expired. Now I am both a gentle and powerful wildfire. A mirror confronts the muse. This is you, the muse breaks free. <laughs> the muse breaks free from Julia Hark. People, give yourselves permission to be yourselves. Julia, how often are you performing these days? Never. <laughs> well, let that be the last time that you say that. <laughs> And I think everybody else listening will agree. Let that be the last time that you've, you will say I haven't been performing because if, if anybody uh, sees Julia perform, it makes those poems out of that poem, um, which is phenomenal, uh, that much better because of the emotion and the rawness and the realness in which you deliver it. Give yourself permission to be yourselves. Truly, do you have anything to add before we, 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 we conclude? I don't think so. I uh, thank you for letting me end on sharing my writing. Um, this was phenomenal. Thank you so much for, for inviting me today. Um, I really loved talking with you and I hope that everybody listening comes away with at least knowing that it's okay to not be okay, and it's okay to be okay. Try it easy to say, hard to do, just be you. Easy to say, hard to do, just be you. Exactly. Um, Julia, I, I speak on behalf of, of um, many, many people uh, um, in many walks of life, and we say we are very 
proud of you and we are excited for your future. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who has ever supported me in getting here. I wouldn't be here without you, quite literally. This will wrap up episode 64 of the What's Your Inspiration podcast. Julie and I will talk at you all later. Take good care. You have been listening to the What's Your Inspiration podcast with Fox Buyer. Because impact on each other is the greatest currency you could ever have.